Good morning. Good morning. My name is Shad Wickstrom. Yes, good morning. That's okay. Let's say good morning to each other. Would you just turn and say good morning? Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Good morning. Yeah, my name is Shad Wickstrom. I'm the lead pastor here at Pursuit Church. I'd like to welcome all our guests here today. If you're here for the first time, we are so glad you're here. I uh, also want to say hi to everybody watching online. Would you turn around and just say hi to everybody? They're, they're watching. They, they're, they're there. They, uh, we have a lot of people watching online. Uh, but we want, to, want you to know that we have a place for you here when you're ready to come visit. Uh, we hope to see you real soon and get to meet you in person. Uh, this season has been so crazy and bizarre and weird. It's just weird, isn't it? Just every day we wake up, and I don't know if you've watched that movie, uh, uh, Groundhog Day. Anybody watch that movie? One of my most favorite romantic comedies. Uh, the guy learns to, to, to win this woman that he loves so much. But every day when he wakes up, it's like that alarm, close off, alarm clock goes off, the same song is singing, and it's like he's doing it all over again. That's how I feel. Do you feel that same way? It's like, when is this going to change? This is so weird. So bizarre, but God has a purpose for us in this season. God has a purpose for you. Yesterday, I stood right over here talking to a young man, and I, I was, God just, his spirit came over me, and I said to him, I looked at him, he's, he's kind of searching and asking questions right now, and I said to him, listen, you need to know this, and this is for every single one of us this morning. You need to know that God has a purpose for your life. You are not created by accident. You are not from primordial ooze here from an evolutionary process. That is a lie from the pit of hell that makes you think that your life has no value. My friends, your life has value. Your life has purpose and meaning. Anything that comes against you other than that is a lie and not true. And I'm, I'm already preaching something I didn't even write down, didn't even have in my thought, just, just God's putting that in my heart for you to know that today that you have purpose and meaning in this world. We're still in our series called Strange. We have one more week in the first part of Daniel, chapters 1 through 6. So next week is the last one, and then we're going to go into a focus around getting our hearts ready, anticipating the Christmas season. And I'm excited about that. We're going to talk about hope and joy and love, all the things that God brings into our lives when we trust his son Jesus. But we've got two more weeks and I want to, again, set the table this morning reminding you that you are going to have struggles in this life. How many of you had some struggles and trials this last week? Would you put your hand up? Now, just hold your hand up. Look around. You're in good company. Anybody that didn't have struggles, anybody that had just had smooth sailing this last week, we're, we're thankful you're here too. Would you put your hand up? There was some smooth sailing. Okay, that's okay. That's okay. She had a smooth sailing this week. She's one out of all of us that had some smooth sailing. And that's okay. There are going to be seasons like that. But we know that whether that is now or not, we will struggle. There's going to be difficulty. There are going to be trials in life. And there's a good reason for this. We've been reiterating this every week. My friends, you need to know this every Sunday. That's why I'm saying it, that you were born for a different kingdom. You were born for a different world, and this world is broken. There are signs all around telling us that every day. If you look for them, there are signs that remind us 
that we were born for another world. And the Bible tells us very clearly, eternity is written on the heart of every human being. There's something that stirs in us when we're quiet at night, maybe, or during the day, if that happens for you. It doesn't happen for me very often. It's usually pretty busy. It's usually when I'm laying down at night, something stirs in my heart. And I believe it's a reminder from God that eternity is near. One moment we can pass from this life into eternity. And every person on planet Earth has that sense birth within them. You, my friends, were meant to be strange in every good sense of the word. Would you again turn to a friend, turn to someone close, said, you were meant to be strange. In fact, would you just say to them, you are strange, a little strange, actually. <laughs> All of us are strange in some way or another. And that's the beauty of God's creation. You were meant to be uniquely who you are, who God created you to be. Now, indulge me for just a moment while I go off into a little bit of football. You guys okay if I, if I go there for just a moment? So the Denver Broncos just finished one of their practices this last week when a large turkey came strutting into the practice. Literally, a large turkey came strutting into the practice. He demanded he wanted a chance to play tight end. They're like, well, okay, all right, all right, come on in. Everybody watched with wonder and amazement as the turkey caught pass after pass and ran right through the defensive line. It was amazing. Finally, Coach Fangio walked over him and said, hey, what's it going to take to sign you up for this year? I will give you a huge bonus if you will sign up this year because we need some tight ends right now. The turkey looked at Coach Fangio and said, forget the bonus. I just want to know, does the season go past Thanksgiving this year? Thank you for that, that kind dad joke chuckle. My friends, Thanksgiving is upon us. The holidays are here. Are you ready? Can you believe it? It feels like, oh, yeah, that's right. We're, we do have Thanksgiving. We do have, it's coming. We're here. Well, another famous coach, Bill Belichick. Go ahead. Boo. We Go ahead. Bill Belichick, yes, the New England Patriots head coach, looked over a new player and he said, you can't play until you pass a basic arithmetic test. So I want you to concentrate hard and tell me the answer to this question. Bill Belichick's asking this new player. What's two plus two? The player thought for a moment and he answered, four. Coach Belichick, did, did you say four? Excited that he had actually got the answer right. And then suddenly, in the middle of all that, all the other players on the team began shouting, Come on, coach, give him another chance. No? You didn't like? No? Okay. I'll stay away from the jokes in the future. I just thought I'd try a couple on you. We're talking about something that I find interesting in the NFL today. It's a two-minute warning. You know what the two-minute warning is? Right, it gets to the end of the two minutes at the half or the two minutes at the end of the game, and play stops. They don't have to use a timeout. The players take on a whole new persona, right? They go into this two-minute rush to try to win, and it warns, that, uh, warns them that the game is going to end soon and that all-out efforts must be employed at that time, that time, and it's become a very strategic part of the game. Some players do much better, and in fact, our quarterback may be a better two-minute player than anything else at this point in time, right? 
But most, if not all, the teams have what they call a two-minute drill, and it's, it's where they do bold and accelerated series of plays to try to get back in the game if they're behind or uh, stay ahead in the game if they're leading. But some of the teams who are losing, they come back for an incredible win. And some teams that are winning begin to lose. This two-minute warning gives both teams a chance to change or secure the game. Today we're going to see a similar two-minute warning given, but with many more, much more critical consequence at stake. There's a lot more going on here in this story today. This part of Daniel's story holds life and death in the balance of what could be considered a two-minute warning in this king's life. The main idea of the message is this. God is faithful, powerful, and wise, even when the world is falling apart. Today's focus is this. Real life is found in living for another kingdom. So today, my friends, you have the opportunity for a two-minute warning. And I don't know where you're at in that game, if, if you're behind or if you're ahead. But either way, you have a chance to consider where you might go from here. So let's pray as we dig into the Bible together this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. It's truth. It changes our lives. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, no matter where we are in it. It can change our lives. It can change the trajectory of where we're headed. And so, God, today I pray that you would give us attentive minds and hearts that you would activate the mind of Christ in us right now, that we would be ready to listen and to hear from you, the living God, and we might receive this, this two-minute warning in the vein, in the spirit in which it's intended, God, for us, either as believers, to continue to press on, to, to finish the game well, to finish strong, or God, for those of us who have not humbled ourselves before you, may this be our two-minute warning to change the course of our life, to turn to you, the living God, the one true living God, and see you bring about something beautiful, something new, something we never imagined you might want to do in our lives and through our lives. So I pray for this grace to be upon us today. Would you please, Father, speak through me your words, your truth, that we might be changed when we leave today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4, uh, 5 actually, ha, <laughs> chapter 5, gotcha. Are we in 4 or 5? Just checking. Okay, just want to make sure you're with me. Daniel chapter 5, version Bible app, live events, Pursuit Church, or PursuitChurch.com slash notes. You can follow along with the notes and the verses that we'll be referring to today. They'll also be up on the screen thanks to some hard work and some last-minute creative thinking by our tech team. Just so you know, this morning was fun when it came to that, but they worked hard, and uh, they got this up on the screen for us. Yay. Our two-minute warning coming. Yahoo! Sometimes you guys don't know all the work that goes into to making even a, a simple, small gathering come together on a Sunday morning. But these guys worked hard and did that so we could see that together and be together in that this morning. So thank you guys. Let's give them a hand. They, they did some hard work this morning. You wouldn't have known that had I not said it, right? Because they got it all done and it's ready to go for us. So thank you guys for doing that. Daniel chapter 5, again, the main idea is this. God is faithful, powerful, and wise even when the world is falling apart. Today's focus, real life is found in living for another kingdom. 
Again, some background and summary. The key passage there, Daniel chapter 12. Remember, this is our key verse. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. My friends, you were built and created for eternity. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise, listen, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Again, Daniel divided into two parts. First half is the narrative, the stories that we've been reading about uh, his encounters in living in a foreign land, living under uh, a king who worshiped false gods and called the people around him to do the same. So he was having to make some really hard choices in those first six chapters. That's what we are learning about. The second half, which we'll return to at the beginning of the year, are the visions concerning the nation of Israel and world empires unfolding even today. And I'm telling you, that's going to be an exciting part of this study in the book of Daniel. So stay with us, and we're going to go back into that in the first of the year. Be a great study and series. But just again to remind us where we are in the book of Daniel here, the Jews found themselves in a strange and foreign culture. Some decided to go with the flow and just adopt the culture and go along with it. They didn't want to make waves. They tried to fit in. Other exiles, however, became a redemptive force. God's allies in a foreign country they lived strange lives. And my question to you as we've been going through this series, will you choose to live a strange life? Let's dig into our story. Often God will intervene to get our attention with circumstances. His purpose in doing so is redemption and restoration. So here we are in the, in the Part of the story of Daniel, disaster has been lingering against Babylon. The year is about 539 B.C. King Nebuchadnezzar, a co-ruler of the Babylonian Empire, has been outside the city with his army defending Babylon, fighting against the Medes and the Persians who were ruled by Cyrus and Darius. They're coming against the city of Babylon. All the people are at war, but outside the city walls. There's a war going on. Inside the city walls is very different. The son of the king of Babylonian, Belshazzar, was ruling inside the city. So just days before this party that we're going to read about, the Persian forces defeated the Babylonian army outside the city. So that army is defeated, and now the city is under siege. And Babylon with its 350 high, 85 feet thick walls surrounded by deep moats, 250 towers, each fortresses in and of themselves, Belshazzar thought, I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to fear. He had food and water to withstand the siege for years, and he had a sizable army inside the city to defend it with all this protection. So he thought, I'm safe. I have nothing to worry about. And to show how unconcerned he is, he throws a party. And that's where we jump into the story. This is what's going on. So here we are, Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for thousands of his nobles and drank wine with them. You can see a common theme here in this first four verses. Drinking. 
While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the kings and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines once again drank from them. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So you get the picture here. City's under attack. He's throwing a party, thinking he's completely safe. And to emphasize the greatness of his royalty, of his majesty, and his power, he brings in these goblets from, stolen from Solomon's temple by his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, and then his nobles and his wives and concubines, they drink from it. And if that were not bad enough, they profane the temple by toasting to the idolatrous gods of Babylon. That, my friends, is an ultimate act of profanity. Not the profanity where there's bad language spewing from a mouth. Profanity is when you take something intended for a holy purpose, a set-apart purpose, and you use it for ignoble, unholy purposes. And that's what's happened here in this moment. Belshazzar and his guests were treating these set-apart holy instruments like nothing at all. But Belshazzar's profanity is understandable because he doesn't know the one true God. Like Nebuchadnezzar, his grandfather, knew. He doesn't know these things by experience. He may have heard stories, but he doesn't know them. And so we can understand that he may, he may not have known. It's the first time he maybe has encountered this idea or thought about it. My friends, he was ignorant of reality. How many of us go through life ignorant of reality? Are we in touch with what's really going on in the world around us? Or have we chosen to step away and live in a false reality? So he's given a chance to turn the other way. Let's jump back into the story. He's given, here's the two-minute warning. Here's where it comes. Now imagine this. Sometimes these stories are so uh, familiar to some of us that we miss the significance and the miraculous nature of them. Don't miss that this morning. Suddenly, while this party's going on, they're drinking, having fun, toasting to their idolatrous gods. Here's what happened. The fingers of a human hand appeared and right on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched as hand wrote, on the wall, his face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, the astrologers, the diviners, and he said to these men, wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing, tells me what it means, will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around their neck, and he will be the third highest in ruler in the kingdom. So my friends, you give you just a picture of what that might have looked like. Belshazzar, seeing a hand appearing out of nowhere, writing on the wall. I'm pretty sure most of us would pay attention if that happened right now. If you could imagine a wall coming out of nowhere over there and starting to write on the wall, I think we would stop, right? 
And his reaction is reasonable. He's shaking in his boots, so to speak. There's a handwriting on the wall. A two-minute warning is coming. There had to have been complete silence while this hand of doom writes on the wall a warning. This was God's two-minute warning to Belshazzar, and if he had repented, God probably would have spared his life. God spared the king of Nineveh when the warning came and he was given 40 days and he repented. God spared the city. The same happened to King Manasseh, who had done the most terrible things of anyone ever written about in the Old Testament. When God gave him a warning, he repented, and God relented and showed him mercy. Belshazzar went on in arrogance with his ignorance of the reality of his situation. The game was up. Here he was clothed in his royal finery, but he's exposed as a man with an empty life. His reign being celebrated by a thousand partiers is now over. His kingdom spanning the Middle East is already being divided by the Medes and the Persians. Pick up in in verse 10 of Daniel chapter 5. Listen as I read this. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and the nobles, you can imagine, as they're freaking out, came into the banquet hall saying, May the king live forever. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians and enchanters and astrologers and diviners. And he did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel does this. He calls to Daniel, he calls to Daniel, or Belshazzar calls to Daniel to come and interpret the handwriting on the wall. What is he going to do? What will he do in response to Daniel's revelation here? Daniel interprets that as we read on. So Daniel was brought before the king in verse 13. The king said to him, Are you, Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I've heard that the Spirit of God is in you and that you have inside intelligence, outstanding wisdom. On down into verse 17, Daniel answered the king after he offered to give him gifts for the interpretation. You may keep your gifts for yourselves and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Daniel goes on to explain to him that God was saying to him, you have been weighed, you have been measured, and you have been found wanting. But the king still thinks he can bluff his way through. He clothes Daniel in purple, puts a gold chain around his neck, and proclaims him the third highest ruler in the kingdom. He's still, in his mind, in control of the situation, and he has missed a chance to turn the other way. My friends, I hope today, if this is you, your second, your two-minute warning, that you will not refuse the opportunity to turn away and turn to God because the consequences of doing so are real. On into the story, verses 22 
beginning of verse 22, the consequences are real. You, Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all these things. Instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you. Your nobles, your wives, your concubines drank from them. You praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which you cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds you in, your, in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent you this two-minute warning, this hand that wrote the inscription. So we know from history that there was one weakness in the Babylonian fort, uh, fort or fortress. The Euphrates River ran through the middle of it, and the Medo-Persian forces dug another water uh, course and diverted the river and then walked right in to the city and they destroyed it. And even as Belshazzar was carrying on his delusion, the consequences were coming and they were severe. Let's read on. This was what the inscription said Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parsen. Here is what the words mean. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. My friends, the Bible records three times when the hand of God wrote. The first was the Ten Commandments, the law. God wrote with his hand, thou shalt not. And he gave those to mankind. This is the line you do not cross. The second time was right here. Judgment, Daniel chapter 5 for mocking God, for living a life apart from God. He was given a warning. You're not living the way God designed you to live. God created you to live. The third time, though, God wrote grace through his son Jesus Christ as a woman who was caught in adultery, sinful, caught in the middle of the act, was being judged and condemned and threatened to be stoned to death. Jesus bent down in the hand of God. God with us, Emmanuel, wrote most likely grace in some measure. We don't know exactly what he wrote, but we know that the people that were around ready to judge her and kill her dropped their stones and walked away, the oldest being first. Daniel 5.30, the end of the story, the consequences. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. He was killed. He was killed by the enemy that had besieged him. God allowed the natural consequences of his choice to rebel against God, to profane the holy things of God. He was given his two-minute warning, and had he repented, I believe God would have relented. in the consequences that were coming his way even in that moment. But he pays the ultimate price for his rebellion against God. He was weighed, he was measured, and he was found wanting. And my friends, in your notes, apart from Christ, apart, listen carefully, apart from Christ, we will all be weighed and measured and found wanting. 
So let's get practical. Let me share with you what I, I hope you take away from this story today. I believe the question that we want to ask here in response to this, to this story from the Old Testament, as we look through the lens of Christ, how do we live a life of significance in response to this? If we're given a two-minute warning and we're ahead, how do we continue on and to live the life God's designed for us to live? Or if we're not, we're given this two-minute warning because our hearts have been rebellious against God, what do we do? How do we live a life in response to that? Daniel 2, 44, we, we covered this earlier in our Daniel series. We're given this insight as to how we live a life of significance. In the time of those kings, in Daniel's time, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. I'm sorry, it's, it's a future prophetic word here that we're given. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will se- itself endure forever. Even in that time, Daniel was given a picture that there was a kingdom coming that would last forever. So you and I live a life of significance by living for another kingdom. That's how we live a life of significance. We don't live for this world. We don't live for this kingdom. We live strange lives, living them for another kingdom as we navigate through this foreign territory. And Jesus teaches us what this kingdom looks like in Matthew chapter 5. Listen to this beautiful passage. If you took this and focused on this for the rest of your life, trying to live it out, you would experience life the way God intended for you to live. It says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those, what it's saying there is, those who are humble. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. My friends, when you feel the trial, when you feel the difficulty, know that you're living for another kingdom. You're living the way Jesus intended for you to live. Jesus said nothing about trying to build up our own image or fighting for power or control or climbing over other people to get to the top. We're blessed in the kingdom of God if we trust God, seek his righteousness, and live as his children. And after this message there, the Beatitudes that Jesus spoke, he went on to contrast life according to the kingdoms of this world, the foreign lands, with the kingdom of God. The kingdoms of this world reward those who build themselves up and satisfy human expectations, but the kingdom of God is built on getting right with God, with ourselves before God and others. That is the kingdom that we're living for. That is the kingdom that matters. 
So here's, here's four practical takeaways. Number one, I pursue living the right way by seeing all people as loved by God. That's the starting point, my friends. John 3, 16 and 17, the fam- most famous verse coupled with the one that's not as famous but as important. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. My friends, I pursue living the right way by seeing all people as loved by God. My friends, this world is is wrought with anxiety and fear and conflict. Don't lose sight that every person you ever see or encounter is loved by God. Righteousness in the kingdom of God is not about keeping rules such as killing or not having an affair. It's how you see people, how you talk to people, how you treat them when things are falling apart and difficult. My friends, this is the, the, the best way to know where you're at in seeing God's kingdom as opposed to the world's. How are you treating other people in COVID-19, in social unrest? Are you seeing them as loved by God? The second takeaway, I seek approval through God's grace by loving my enemies forgiving wrongs and refusing to judge others. Matthew 5, 43-44, it says, You've heard it said, Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. My friends, never more has there been a need for us to pray for our nation, for our country, for our world than right now. But we seek approval through God's grace by loving our enemies, forgiving wrongs, and refusing to judge others. Approval in the kingdom of God is not earning God's favor by being perfect. It's accepting his grace, loving enemies, forgiving people, and refusing to judge them. The third takeaway, I see true spirituality as knowing God and living like Jesus. True religion, true spirituality is knowing God and living like Jesus. John 17, 3 says this, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one only true, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Knowing God and knowing Jesus who he has sent. True religion in the kingdom of God, giving to the poor, prayer and fasting. It's not to impress other people or even ourselves. It's how we come to know God and see God and experience the love of God in this world when we give and serve and love others because we're living like Jesus. 1 John 2, 6, whoever whoever claims to live in him, that is Jesus, to live in God or live in Christ, must live as Jesus did. I see true spirituality as knowing God and living like Jesus. Number four in your notes, how we live a life of significance is we find our security investing in heaven and our future with God. Matthew 6, 
19 through 21. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal, where your treasure is, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. My friends, invest in the future of eternity. Invest in your time in heaven, not simply here on earth. Security in the kingdom of God is not found in laying up treasures on earth and worrying about whether or not we have enough to live on. It's about recognizing God's power and care, which will never fail, which brings us back to our main idea. God is faithful and powerful and wise. Even when the world is falling apart, real life is found in living for another kingdom. My question to you as we come to an end here, what kingdom are you living for in your life? Whose kingdom are you building? As you examine those four takeaways today, where is your life as it lines up with those four takeaways? Because my friends, when we're living for those things, that's where we're living a life of significance that matters. So what's your next step? What's God saying to you today? What do you need to do in response to this message? Maybe that two-minute warning is evident to you. It's time for you to turn away from your past and turn to God. And I want to invite you to do that this morning. In just a minute, I'll lead us in a prayer. For those of you who have not given your life to Christ You've ignored that two-minute warning, but it's clear to you today. I want to give you a chance to pray with me. I'll, I'll share some words with you that you might use to express what's going on inside of you. It's not those words. It's what's going on in your heart. God's stirring you, convicting you, challenging you, that you need to take heed to this two-minute warning and respond. The Bible is very clear says that we are all sinful, that we all will be found measured, weighed, measured, and found wanting in the end apart from Christ. But in Christ, we have the gift of eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Would you pray with me? And if you need to give your life to Christ today, I want to encourage you to just pray this prayer with me right where you are, whether you're online watching us at home or on your phone sometime through the week. You can stop right now and pray this with me and respond to what God's doing in your heart. If you're here in person, I invite you to do the same. Let's pray. Jesus, I know that I'm sinful and I realize my good works could never make up for my wrongs and I need your forgiveness. I see this as my two-minute warning and I don't want to turn away from it. I believe you died for my sins and I want to turn away from them right now. I trust you to be my Lord and Savior, and with your help, I will follow you 
the rest of the days of my life as my leader in the fellowship and friendship of your church family. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you did that and you're here in person, would you just lift up your hand? I would love to pray with you this morning, pray for you. Just let me know this morning. Just slip your hand up and I'll, I'll be happy to pray for you. Anybody here this morning? If you have more questions, I would love to talk to you. Please catch me out in the hallway as you leave and just let me know. I'd love to talk with you, walk with that uh, decision, walk with you through that decision. Let me pray for the rest of us this morning as followers of Jesus Christ. God, would you stir in us again in such a way that we remember that you have already won the battle and that we do not have to live or walk in fear. That eternity is already a settled matter for us and we have the joy and the privilege of worshiping you and pointing people to you for the rest of our life, whatever that may be. May we walk in boldness, in courage, and wisdom as we do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.